every single one of us has some role to play. The Sustainable Hour. For a green, clean, sustainable Geelong. The Sustainable Hour. You're on The Sustainable Hour. We'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from the land of the Wathaurong people. We pay tribute to the elders past, present, and those that will earn that great honour in the future. We're broadcasting from stolen land, land that was never ceded. We acknowledge the incredible amount of ancient wisdom that they've gained from nurturing their land and their communities for millennia before their land was stolen. And we get a chance to vote for justice, for more justice for First Nations Australians later on in the year. The science is clear. The world is in a state of climate emergency and we need to shift into emergency gear. These are the words that you'll see if you go to the United Nations website on top of one of their pages about the climate emergency. The world is in a climate emergency and we need to shift into emergency gear. So what does emergency gear look like and how do we get the message out so everyone gets it? That's I think what we will be talking about today because uh, there, you could say there are two ways. Either we either get scared and really so afraid of the emergency that we step into action or we do it with something more positive where we encourage each other and where we come together and have a feeling of that this is actually a fun thing to do as well, that we get together and take action on the emergency. Roger Hallam said, if we don't work together, we're going to die together. There's not much fun in that statement and there's not much fun in the climate emergency, but today we will be talking about humor and how to talk about the emergency in a different way. But first we have news of the world and what state is the world in Colin Market OAM what do you have for us yes well it's um, news of the world I used to work for Mr Murdoch you know at one point um, yeah our roundup this week begins in New Zealand it's specifically in Queenstown that's a resort town it's a resort on the southwest of the South Island of New Zealand it's a holiday destination and it draws some 3 million overseas visitors every year. And it announced plans this week to become the first carbon-free destination in the world. It aims to be carbon-free by 2030. It's going to introduce electric jet boats, electric gondola access to its mountain resorts, and hydrogen or battery-powered Air New Zealand flights in and out of its airport. And the bloke who's charged with the task of this transition is Destination Queenstown Chief Executive Matt Woods. At the announcement this week, he said that the aim wasn't simply to attract eco-tourists, but to protect the future. With a growing number of tourists every year, they put much pressure on our infrastructure and our environment, he said. But this is a regenerative strategy that will protect the future for generations to come. He added that 
It's a very ambitious move, but one that we have taken only after a huge amount of research, community, council, and business engagement and planning. So they're taking the whole town along with them by the sound of it. Queenstown does have a rival in this respect to become the world's first carbon neutral or carbon zero tourist destination because the southern Chinese resort town of Hainan announced plans to end the sale of fossil fuels within its boundaries by 2030. So that's moving along the same path. Meanwhile, in Geelong, the council is still very much concerned with trying to figure out ways of paying for its libraries to stay open. Just to sort of put a, a, a baseline underneath those two lots of plans. Now, the Canada, where we were talking earlier about the wildfires still burning from coast to coast, the figures are staggering in the extreme. The nation has already exceeded the average amount that burns annually, and the fire season hasn't even officially started there yet. Such is the intensity of the fires along Canada's eastern seaboard that it turned the skies orange as far away as New York, Philadelphia and Washington, with people advised to stay indoors and avoid breathing in the airborne pollution. But this has actually had something of a positive impact for the environment in that the US media has reported the event as man-made climate change and it's triggered calls for most dramatic action in the US. New York's mayor, Eric Adams, warned that there was more of the same to come and that strong climate action is imperative. This may be the first time that we've experienced something of this magnitude, he said, at a press conference. And that press conference was remarking that New York's air quality was the worst in the world, worse than Delhi's. Let's be clear, he added, it's not the last. Climate change is accelerating these conditions and we must continue to draw down emissions, improve air quality and build resilience. Now to the UK, where the Guardian newspaper began a new series last week that clearly points the finger at big oil companies, not just for causing climate change, but also for hindering the world's efforts to slow and halt it. It's called Big Oil Uncovered, and the articles delve into the fossil fuel industry in a way that never has done before. The inaugural story examines the first ever constitutional climate lawsuit in the US, which goes actually to trial this week. It's part of what experts are saying could be a pivotal shift in climate litigation. We can expect more to hear more of that on our roundup next week. Now to Brazil, where another current series of articles put out by Reuters reports that the efforts to replant trees in areas that have been devastated by illegal logging and ranching in the Amazon forest, although they would lead to major climate benefits in storing carbon dioxide, they're now facing major challenges. These include threats from land grabbers and arson attacks. And it's beginning to look like the immediate future for the 21st century is unlike the 20th century, which was 
when you look at it in a big picture, it was all about political wars with communism on one side and capitalism on the other. It's looking very much like the 21st century is heading for struggles between environmentalists and big industrial money. Now for a couple of short news slips. Last week, temperatures in Siberia reached 100 degrees in what was described as the worst heat wave in history there. That's 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees Celsius. It's still pretty hot for Siberia when you think about it. And Australians were warned last week that the El Nino effect that's forecast for this summer is likely to put added stress on our electricity infrastructure and could cause blackouts. So now would be a very good time to arrange solar power and battery storage if you can get in touch with your state government rebates and you can manage it. Do the sums now, get it going if nothing else. And finally, a flurry of good news to finish with. Al Gore reported last week that India has paused its building of new coal plants for at least the next five years. And this week, the European Union reported that wind and solar generation for the first time produced more EU electricity than fossil fuels. That was during the month of May. During the month of May, there was 31% of clean energy generated to 27% of fossil fuels. The rest was hydro and nuclear. I guess you could say that the hydro should go in with the clean energy too, shouldn't it? And that's the first time in history that environmental generation has outdone fossil fuels in Europe. And I believe that it's likely to be the first of many more such reports. And that's my global roundup for the week. Listen to our sustainable hour for the future. Our first guest today is Robert Patterson. We've had Robert on before. Robert was responsible for setting up and organising a meeting uh, recently in the library in Geelong a couple of weeks ago. Robert, thanks for coming on and welcome. What's up for the future? Thank you very much, Tony, for the invitation and the opportunity to join um, the Sustainable Air again. Um, it's always a privilege. You guys are doing some great work. But, yeah, what I'd like to chat to you uh, with the opportunity you're giving me this morning is um, a little bit of what we've been up to. Um, I think that many of your listeners may not have heard of Letitians. I should perhaps explain what a Letitian is right up front. A letitian is a cross between a petition and a letter and where you send a petition and sign it and send it to the politicians and then you send your individual letters to your local member. The idea of a letitian is we all send a letitian, which is the same and is prepared and it, it can be downloaded and sent to your politician in, we've got it down to about eight minutes. Um, so the idea is, of course, that we'd love to have a meeting. I'd love to have a meeting with my local member and that they're very difficult because they're very busy and there's every reason why they can't. So I'd just like to talk a little bit about that um, on the sustainable hour today. Um, the first thing we, we always ask at these meetings, we had a Geelong Library meeting 
which was very successful. We had um, uh, some very good things put forward at that meeting. But at the end of the meeting, everybody says, but what can I do? And this has been the question that I've heard so many times by so many people. And this is where the letition thing gives an opportunity for people to participate in the democratic system with eight minutes a month. So that's where we're coming from, Tony, with it. Um, I'd love to have a meeting with my local member and all we're asking people in Ballarat, if we can send enough letitians to our local member, uh, Catherine King, then she may well have a meeting with us. And in actual fact, to show the success of the letition system that we've sent her, we think, about 80 letitians and we've got a meeting with her in early July. So we'd like to do the same in Geelong and we'd like to duplicate it right across Australia. There's no reason why we can't. We just need only two or three people in each electorate that spend a little bit of time to organise and then everybody sends a letition and we send 100 and then if we don't get a meeting, we send 200 until our local member will meet with us. And when we say meet with us, the first one of our first questions to our local member is, will you have more than one meeting a year with us for 30 minutes? We're requesting four meetings a year for two hours where we can seriously sit down and she can explain to us about what's happening uh, with climate and we can chat to her about it as well also. But we cannot cover all these issues in 30 minutes. So that's, that's our main ask. Um, the other thing we'd like to take to our local member is we've been hearing a lot about this defence policy uh, that's come out, the report, it's the ONI report, and uh, we understand uh, through a lot of people in the climate movement and that even they are parliamentarians haven't even seen this report. So how can they be briefed? And why aren't they being briefed? And therefore, uh, is it all some sort of a secret? Well, they say it's defence, but there's a, a section in there on climate. And if it's bad news, uh, we've got to face up to it at some stage. Uh, so surely sooner than later, because every day you put it off, it's, costing, it's going to cost more money to tackle this climate problem. And we should have been tackling it 10 years ago. So is that what you're going to be talking about at the meeting? Well, the first thing we would like to bring up with our local member is whether she uh, could see a way clear to having four meetings with us a year for perhaps two hours rather than 30 minutes and no more meetings. I mean, we need to be as a community, as her voters in her electorate, we feel, you know, it's our democratic right, if you like, to meet with her more regularly. Now, the agenda at the meeting is firstly to see if we can get these extra meetings. And the second thing that we want to discuss with her is obviously the climate problem. And we want to discuss this defence report that we know that's been done in last November that still hasn't been released. And uh, it hasn't even been released to some ministers, we understand. So they haven't, that's one of our questions. Colin. Hi, oh, yeah, Robert. Look, I've got a couple of questions. But first, I wanted to say that our local member, Mick and I, is the Deputy Prime Minister and the Defence Minister. 
So, look, I think we need more than half an hour if we're going to start quizzing him on all of this because he's one of the blokes who's got his fingers on the buttons of power. But what I was going to ask is that when it comes to your petition, it's a sort of a merging of a petition and a letter. I've got that right. Have you got a format that we can download before we pass it on? I'm assuming a petition is already in existence and you aim your, you just add your name to the bottom. So how does it physically work if people wish to become one of the signatories of your petition? That's my first one. And my second one is that we've got three levels of governance in our society. Uh, I'm assuming that your Letitian is going to go to the federal and the state level parliamentarians. Are you also going to replicate it with councillors? So firstly, what we would like to do with your your local member, who's the defence minister, we'd like you and your friends in your electorate, and we think we might need about 80 to 100 people to all send a letitian to Mr Miles um, to see if you can gain a meeting with him. And if the, on your first attempt you don't, then the following month you send, send 200 letitians because I think it's important to get a meeting, as you said. And the first thing you're going to ask also is can we make the meeting longer than 30 minutes? Um, the second point you raised, are we using the system to the state and to the council level? Definitely it can be. It's a yes. A yes and a yes. Um, the only thing that's holding us all back and the climate movement is we're not very well organised and we're very underfunded. And, of course, to develop this letitian system, and it's only it's a system, it's not a climate group, uh, so that any climate group can use it, um, any organisation can use it, the uh, field NAPs can use the letitian system. But it needs a bit more money thrown at it to make it, you know, work. It's got to be driven, doesn't it? And unfortunately, these systems and this tech work that has to be done behind the scenes cost money. Mm. So how do we physically go about it? Yeah, so what you do, Colin, you go on to letition.org. Ah. And I think um, the, there'll be a link there for you. And it's very simple. In eight minutes, you've produced a letition with your name on it and addressed, already addressed to your politician. And we're doing it definitely federally for a start because we see that if we can get the federal politicians to move, and what we would love to see is that the Beetaloo gas mine, which is the biggest gas field in the world, is like they've done just done in India. It's stopped for five years or there's a moratorium and everybody's got to step back a little bit and, and a little bit more thought process has to be put into all stuff. There's, um, it, we're told by the United Nations in no uncertain terms that developing all these gas fields is madness. Yeah, the difficulty is, of course, that the, uh, the people who are, would need to cap the gas fields are the same people who are making a bucket full of money by taking the gas out of it. And you're not going to persuade them easily to put a cap on it and then lay off all their workers. No, you're right, Colin, and this is, uh, this is the dreadful dilemma civilization and 
and humanity's got, but it's going to have to be addressed. We've, we're now not talking about one and a half degrees anymore. We're talking about two degrees. Let's stop going above two degrees. And if we don't, we're going to be looking at three degrees. So it's not a matter of if it's going to stop all this gas production. It's a matter of it has to. So the longer we leave it, the worse it's going to be and then the more inconvenience. And somebody suggested to me the other day, um, who's been in this climate movement much longer than I, that we've got to be go on to a climate war footing which means, you know, really drastic stuff. But we have to bring everybody along. Um, but to answer your question, Colin, it's not a matter of should we stop it and there's going to be jobs lost. We've got no choice. Beetaloo mm. must be stopped. If you, the more I think about it, the more I believe that taxation is likely to be the pivot, the key. Um, because if you suddenly start taxing the fossil fuel generators by huge amounts and then saying to them, hey, we'll give you refunds if you stop and we'll help pay your uh, blokes who are being laid off out of that fund that you gain through taxing them much more, then that's a good way of doing it. Uh, rather than just asking them and saying, hey, you're buggering up the planet, they're not going to do anything about it because they're making buckets of money. If you stop that buckets of money going to them and say, hey, you can get a bit back if you do the right thing, that'll work. Going back to maybe to the meeting with Catherine King, I've got friends in that electorate too. From what I can gather, they've been trying for some time to get a meeting with her unsuccessfully. And through, how many did you say, Letitians? That uh, she was, that went to her seems to to have changed her mind about meeting with her electorate. Yeah, we think Tony over the three months and Ballarat were the most enthusiastic with electricians. We're having great a bit of trouble, I might say, in other areas. But people are coming on board. People are understanding now what electricians are. But we just need the climate groups to when they the penny drops and they get behind it. Uh, there's some very strong groups in Geelong and. And, and, and right across the country, there's 600 climate groups. And if we can get those on board, then we'd be sending thousands of electricians to, um, to their defence minister. But I don't think we need to send thousands. I think after they get 200, and to answer your question in Ballarat, we think we've sent about 80 uh, to date, and then we're sending more in June. Mm. And that's after a history of her ignoring and not responding to requests to, to meet her from her constituents? Well, she meets uh, people on things that are, are not so significant, which is, you know, the maintenance of roads and, um, you know, the, the, the anything that she can help with many things. But if on, unfortunately on climate, it seems that many politicians hit a brick wall and, and don't... And, not so keen to meet because it is a massive problem. But when the Defence Department are bringing out reports that we're not even allowed to see, then we need to meet with our local member and ask why. That uh, report, is it based on the, the climate implications for our defence? 
as I understand it, there was a report that was done, uh, was a promise to be done before the, the Labor Party came in, and they definitely they went ahead and did the report. But when the report came out, they sort of got cold feet to show us what's in the report. So there, as I understand it, the report is about defence, and obviously there's some secrecy there. But there's a section that on climate that we need to see because that part of it we understand because many better people than I are looking at it from every which way, that that report spells out the danger we're in with, with social collapse, with, with thousands and upon thousands of people that are going to be on the move in the next, you know, 10 years. There's been a, somebody's quoted that there could be up to a billion people on the move within the next 10 years because they're going to run out of water where they are. They're going to run out of food. And we're seeing it already. I mean, a lot of these problems in the world now, in Africa, it's all the rain stopped falling. Yeah. In the Horn of Africa, especially. Yeah. And the, throughout Southeast Asia. Oh, it is. Canada's burning. I mean, it's mm -hmm. on and it's got to be discussed. The, the problem is that once when things are hidden from the public, which have to come out at some stage, so therefore the truth gets lost, which means once truth's lost, then trust gets lost. And once trust gets lost, communication stops. And mm. many people have already said, what can I do? What's the point? It's all too late. We all give up. But why don't we keep fighting to see if we can keep it below two degrees? So... The next thing, once communication stops, of course, is the democratic system slows. And so with the world the way it is, as I said, is that there's so much untruth coming there in the social media and from every angle, and a lot of our newspapers are not spilling it out. The thing that we've got to have, our politicians have got to be right on it and very truthful with it. And we see that at election times that they unfortunately also are not. And so we lose faith in our politicians and that politicians is the only way. There's 151 in Canberra. There's 77 of them in government. So if there's 26 million people in Australia are going to get affected. And if they keep rushing around and not telling us what's happening, then where do we go? Yeah. I think a role model example of a politician a minister who is telling his people and the world what is happening in his world is the Danish Minister for Climate, Dan Jørgensen. Why? Because he has started a podcast years ago. It's called Planet A. And in this podcast, he talks with people from all over the world about climate and about what Denmark is doing in this field, how he feels as a human being and as a politician about the action and the inaction that's happening, about his experiences from the meetings that he goes to, including when there's a once a year, a big United Nations climate summit called COP. And it's really interesting to hear these conversations, I think, and, and to get inside the head of a climate minister. So what I'm suggesting is that, for instance, here in Australia, the climate minister, Chris Bowen, why doesn't he start a podcast? and truthfully tell us in his podcast about his thoughts and what's happening and so on. I think the reason he, that he doesn't have a podcast is that there's a lot of things that they're hiding for us. 
I would like to play a clip for our listeners from the Danish minister's podcast, the most recent one, uh, because it touches on a topic which is very relevant for the discussion we're having today, which is, should we be optimistic or should we be pessimistic about all these news that we hear all the time? The title of the podcast is, is there anything funny to say about climate change? And in the episode, Dan Jonsson is talking with the American actor and comedian Rain Wilson. There's a story I tell in my book where I worked with this great acting teacher named Andre Gregory, and he was the subject of the famous movie called My Dinner with Andre. And I was studying acting with him, and he would meet with his acting students. And I met with him once. This was a long time ago, 20-some years ago. And he said, you know, he asked me how I was doing, and I told him that Uh, I was feeling really pessimistic and I was feeling down and I was feeling cynical and feeling like the world was going to crap and and everything was sucking and I was feeling negative and, and really down. He was very old then. He's still alive. He's like 100 years old. I swear he was like, he was like 75, skinny guy. He, I'll never forget it. He reached out, he grabbed my arm hard and he looked directly in my eyes and he said, don't. Don't do it. You can't be pessimistic. You cannot be cynical. You can't stay in that mode or they win. Because if you're pessimistic and you're cynical, you won't do anything. You'll just sit on your couch and roll your eyes. You have to keep hope alive. You have to keep moving forward. You have to believe that change is possible and keep working for change. So to me, at the end of that, I staggered out of his apartment in New York City, and I really saw the world in a whole new way. It deeply affected me, this idea that we cannot afford on any level, no matter what cause that you're impacted by and most passionate by about, we cannot stay pessimistic and cynical because it leads to inaction. So whether it's income inequality or social justice, racism, uh, climate change, reduction of, of, of violence, gun violence, uh, education of children, you know, whatever it is, environmentalism, we have to keep hope alive, both in ourselves and in others. So it's, it's maybe it's American naivete, but it really is uh, in our work. We cannot afford to even go to those places because they will sap our energy and that will lead us to to inactivity. And that's something I battle with in myself. This is something I struggle with in myself. Like I work in climate, you know, I go to our board meetings. I'm trying to get climate information out to to world leaders. We're trying to do, you know, public uh you know, front public facing kind of climate interactive events online and um, through social media. And sometimes I just feel like, oh, what's the point? This is just going nowhere. They just opened 87 new coal plants, but I just can't afford to go there. So it's super important for anyone to just keep that hope alive and keep working. Otherwise, nothing will happen. Well, that's a fantastic point. And I, 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 I definitely also agree personally. I mean, The, the facts that we're facing are scary, right? So I guess you, you, uh, you know, intuitively you might say, well, when the facts are so scary, why not just tell the facts and you'll scare people into action? They will do the necessary thing. But I think, first of all, I, I don't believe that is the best way of, of, of mobilizing action. But uh, this is not just something that 
a feeling that I have. This I, I believe also has been scientifically proven that it is actually better to to mobilize uh, action by creating a positive vision. People are much more likely to act on a positive incentive than than a negative one. I like to use the example that uh, Martin Luther King he did not start a, a civil rights movement by giving a speech called I have a nightmare. Mm. He, he, he had the positive mm-hmm. vision. He could have given the other one. That would also have been true right away, but uh, he didn't. And and I think we need the same with, with climate change. I think I think uh, even though it's it's not rational, I think that people tend to get a little bit tired or maybe that's not the right word, but, but maybe they just simply zone out because it's too much to comprehend. You've been to work all day, uh, you're tired, you uh, turn on your laptop to watch the news and you don't want all of the terrors in the world and you certainly don't want to be told that it's your responsibility and you need to act. Whereas if you're told a story that, listen, you can actually make a difference. You can buy some uh, some solar panels for your house and you know what, you, you'll even save money doing it. And by the way, if you can afford a, an electric car, it's much more fun to drive it. It's like going from a old typewriter that your dad used to have to a computer. It's great, it's fun. And by the way, if you eat a little bit less meat, hmm, it's also healthy for you. And it tastes great. All of the, you know, so creating the positive vision. So this is on an individual level. On a societal level, it's even easier because, I mean, it's it's simply impossible to point to a society on the planet that's better off for being inefficient with energy. That's better off for using black energy. It's, it, it doesn't exist. Of course, the societies that are uh, front runners here and that are more efficient with their resources will also be the most competitive ones, the richest ones, the ones with cleanest air, healthiest people. It's 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 a no-brainer, really, I would say. That's probably the most refreshing thing that I've heard this year. I, I, I could take any of those sentences and put it down as a motto for getting through the rest of the year. Certainly, I feel and I sympathize with the the, the American bloke, I don't even know who he was, um, where he's saying that he gets disheartened and, and it's very, very difficult to not be cynical because all of the, the, um, the sheer amount of um, weight of lethargy from the top down on actually doing any uh, anything about it weighs on the community. Um, every community in the world is uh, is laden down laden down with um, with the amount of oh i haven't got to do anything because no one's going to do it anyway and uh, the, none of the politicians are for it and it's very difficult to move out of that mindset but he's got the 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 100 year old bloke grabbing people has got the right attitude i think i'm going to be one of them from now on <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, Rain Wilson is an American actor. He's a comedian. He's a podcaster, producer. He's known for this sitcom called The Office, which I think uh, also a lot of teenagers uh, have been watching. Uh, he's been receiving, you know, Emmy awards and so on. So, he's a, in America. He's a famous person. Well, he, I'm assuming that he would take the part in The Office that uh, are the, the sympathetic part. There are three main male leads in the office when you, you know, it's a it's a remake of the British one that was in the 1980s, I think. 
We'll put a link to the Danish podcast from the Danish climate minister in our podcast notes. Um, again, the name of the podcast is Planet A, and you can find it if you simply look in your podcast player on your phone. You'll find Planet A right there. Okay, can we edit this? Yeah. Let's edit yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So this so is my give reaction. Me the laugh. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, that Danish sense of humor. The Danes are known the world over for their sense of humor. Can humor and jokes help motivate people to fight climate change? That's one of the topics that I talked to actor and comedian Rain Wilson about in today's podcast. There is not a lot funny to say about climate change, but you can say... You can talk about how there's nothing funny to say about climate change in some very funny ways. Welcome to Planet A, a podcast on climate change. My name is Dan Jørgensen. I'm Minister for Development Cooperation and Global Climate Policy in Denmark. In a series of conversations, I ask some of the world's leading experts, policymakers, authors and activists how to stem climate change. We, the human species, are confronting a planetary emergency. For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. The reason I believe we need to act now is because the facts are staring us in the face. There is no plan B because we do not have planet B. You're listening to Planet A, a podcast on climate change and what to do about it. Well, I'm, I'm thinking now of Libby Coker, who was a, a councillor on the Surf Coast and a past mayor of the Surf Coast. And there she was a, very much an environmentalist. But if you talk to her now about what the Labour Party's doing, she takes very much the Labour Party line. And that's the real worry. Um, as Billy Connolly, well, we're talking about um, uh, comedians, as Billy Connolly used to say, no matter who you elect, you always get a bloody politician. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's the real worry that I have with the letition system, Robert. We will get the politicians out in front of us. They will be there, especially if there's an election coming up. But they're going to give you hazy, fuzzy answers that don't really answer too much don't give us what we want no 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 colin the reason we can succeed with this is because once you've sent a hundred letitians to libby coker and then we get 200 now she's got a hundred thousand people in her electorate if we can't get 200 i would throw at you if you can't get a thousand people out of a hundred thousand in geelong that are all concerned let's suppose if she gets 500 letitians they're all the same, she will say, holy moly, what happens if those 500 people get out on the streets at the next election supporting a teal? We won't have a Libby Coker anymore. And yeah. the thing about Libby Coker and the disaster that we're in with this two-party system, Libby, she's a nice person. I've met her a number of times, and mm. there's a photograph of me delivering to Chris Bowen the other day, and I delivered one to Libby Coker when they were both at the Deakin University, and Libby's a nice person. But She's a delightful person. The trouble, the trouble is, Colin, she's got to toe the party line. Now, if she, exactly. Even, even, even if she dreamed in the middle of the night she's going to cross the floor, she's out. Now, that's not yeah. democracy. How can she represent us and be tied to a system that's run by some knuckleheads in Canberra? 
<laughs> and look, I have to point out that the one of the people who lays down the party line is Richard Miles. Yeah, well, uh, again, if he got 500 electricians, he will meet with you, Colin, and me. And we point out to him, we're 500 of us, we're gonna, we've got two years to grow to 2,000 people. We will be saying, Richard, if you can't represent it because of the, the, the political system that you guys have developed, that you can't cross the floor, well, then, unfortunately, you're not representing us, Richard. Because we're at the meeting we're having with Richard, we'll take ask the questions. The, one of the first questions, uh, Richard, we want the climate thing to be treated in a bipartisan manner from today with voting with a conscience vote across Parliament. If, if you can't take that to Canberra for us, that's what we're asking. Yeah, but, I mean, look, the politics goes way, way beyond us and them. The politics, we all know that at the last election, Labor got in with a lower vote than it had had in the previous election. We are turning our back as a society on both political parties, and they're very much aware of that. So that's what we have to bear in the back of our mind when we do get them there at meetings. If, they, if it became the same as in World War II, they had a, a wartime cabinet, Mm. Both parties, that, yeah, that's the politics have got to go out of it. It's way too important to be corrupted by politics. Yep, and the truth of the matter is, they don't need us telling them what the emergency is. They've got Antonio Guattaris to do that. Mm. We've got the bloody president of the world saying, "Look, we've got to do things," but their political will is holding them back. What's holding them back is uh, fossil fuel donations. Yep. Yeah. When you think of the logic in that, they're saying, yeah, okay, we are more prepared to take money to make decisions based on that than we are about the world in which our kids are going to grow up. Exactly. We know important. that. We keep saying we're, we want to leave a better world for our grandchildren. They're saying, oh, yeah, all right then, we're not going to do anything about it. Oh. And that's, yeah, but the, but, that's but what the really reason, hurts. But, yeah. But, the, but the reason they're not doing anything about it is because they know they're only going to be there for a, a number of a few more years. Yeah. Now, let, let's, 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 I'm not sure where Miles thinks she's going in the world, but he, his plan might be to do another couple of terms and then he wants to be the ambassador in America. I mean, that's yeah, his, or Paris that's or where somewhere he, really. <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah. that's where he's heading. So he's, He's just, when the climate, he just kicks the bucket down the road and it'll be fixed in another five years by some other politician. Yeah. And, and he will think, now be in America as the ambassador. I mean, think they've all got an agenda. Climate, does he think he won't be affected by climate change there? Yeah. Well, he's probably, maybe he's like the rest of us, Tony, that he's somewhat said, what can we do? I mean, it's such a massive problem. What can we do? But the point is that we're now looking at two degrees, not one well, and getting, a half. Get getting back to the very, very beginning of the program and my roundup, New York was frightened this week by its orange skies and the mm. fact that it couldn't go out on the streets and breathe. So, look, this might well turn around to be one of the turning points in history because New York is one of the biggest cities in the world and they've just had a fright and a shake. And, he, and their mayor is saying we've got to do something about it. 
he's of the same party of Joe Biden. So we may well be seeing something. Let's as long as we don't Can allow Rupert Murdoch to keep showing us Donald Trump and saying that that's the most important thing in the world. What we've got, though, Colin, they've got the fossil fuel industry, have got the money, mm. they've got Murdoch, they've told us a lot of bullshit for years, but there's one thing we've got. We've got the people. We've just and got integrity. to get them moving. We've just, and I think, I, and I think more people are seeing the letitian thing takes a little while to get your head around, but if Richard Ma or Libby Koki gets a 1,000 letitians, then we've got the people, and the people will remove her and we will have another teal. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, so, offhand, but I think she only got in by around about a couple yeah. of hundred votes. So she's really only got to get one petition, <laughs> and, and that will have an impact on her. Have you got a meter that knows how many petitions are actually sent to each poly? Yeah, well, it's the thing. The system does do that. The system tells oh. us every politician, 151, we can tell how many they've received every month, and we will we will advertise that perhaps. <laughs> Well, 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 you, you keep on doing that. You keep coming on here and telling us how many you've got going, Robert. Mm. Yeah, well, every week we can tell you. Our next guest is Steve Hilly. So he's seriously concerned about the climate crisis we face and uses humour to to help us cope with that, maybe help himself. So welcome, Steve. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. So I've been doing comedy for a few years now, and I the start, I used to focus mainly on relationships, like a lot of comedians, right? Mainly on relationships and and, uh, and sex, and, and I, I love dirty jokes myself. And uh, I kind of got started getting into environmentalism and Extinction Rebellion and the green movement and stuff like that. I was part of the green party when I was a teenager, but then I kind of kind of fell away and then I got back into it. And I thought, I thought I'd like to, to make a show about, about that. It's very hard to make. I thought it was going to be very hard to make uh, the climate crisis funny. Cause it's not funny. Is it? It's, it's, it's horrible. It's a disaster, right? It's we're, 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 we're sleepwalking towards our, towards the end of the world. Right. So how do you make that funny? That's, that's, that's the, that's the challenge and i kind of i used the my old style of humors in the the sex stuff and i thought right let's try to bring these two worlds together at the same time i started getting more involved in the green movement so you actually realize whilst you're part of this movement that mad things are happening all around you uh and i i kind of you know you take from that and, and that's what created the show what sort of um, reception are you getting from people? Well, this is it. It's it's it surprised me because I, like I say, like there, there is there's a whole section of the show about me and my activism and uh, and how when I I first started going on on green marches and green protests, how I'd look around me and I'd I talk about the people who are around me. And it's there's lots of jokes about that, but you can tell. I think you can tell when a joke is made out of. You can tell when a joke is being mean spirited, and you can tell when a joke is made out of love. Like I talk about where I grew up, and that there's obviously an affection there. And I think there's the same kind of feeling when I talk about 
the stuff I've done with, with the green movement and 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 my my green colleagues. So I think there's there's that kind of feeling there. That, that even if I'm joking about it, it's it's jokes that that are coming from a from a place of, of love and respect. Uh, and so the reception has been brilliant, actually. I'll be honest, much better than I thought. So people who are into the environment have come to see the show and, and seem to love it. People who are kind of ambivalent have come to see the show and have left. A few people have left feeling really energized, which is what I which is what I love. And people who are who are concerned but don't really know, but perhaps don't feel like they like they are part of the movement or just kind of you know thinking about being involved or not perhaps some people are a little bit intimidated by what they think the green movement is all about i've had people like that come to see the show and then again kind of tell me that uh yeah that they they can get on board with this sort of messaging and so it's been it so it's been yeah it's been also the show is very funny i think so that's one of the main things people have said they've come to see the show they've enjoyed it they've had a laugh they feel a little bit energized and then they go to the pub and they have a chat about the stuff we were talking about which is kind of the best thing that I can hope to achieve with a comedy show. And how much of your work in back in England is yeah. comedy and how much is, is uh, well, they're both activism, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. So my, my work is primarily comedy. So that's how, that's how I earn money. Uh, but uh, unfortunately we're still living in a, in a system where I need money to be able to live. Um, you know, maybe one day we can overthrow the system, but until then, uh, yeah, I'm, um, so that's, that's my work. That's my job. Right. But I am, I'm very much involved in, well, I'm, I was always I've always been involved in the in the green movement ever since I was a teenager. I lived in Malta as a teenager and I was part of the Green Party there. And um and the the Green Movement in Malta is very small and unfortunately it's taken a while for for uh, for, for things to get moving in, in Malta. When I moved to the UK, I also started to get involved a little bit. Obviously moving I've I also have a young child, so it's it's kind of hard to balance. I do take part in lots of extinction rebellion activities and and other green movements and green party stuff so i, I yeah so I, I do think activism does take up a chunk of my life but my job primarily is is the comedy obviously you mentioned your the start to your activism that you mentioned on the show uh in malta and yeah. that sea level rise what tell tell our listeners a, a bit about so Malta is a tiny little island. So for, for, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, but Malta is a tiny little Mediterranean island. Uh, and and when I mean tiny, I mean tiny. And for many, many years, decades, actually, governments, different governments have paid very little heed to environmental, the environmental catastrophe that is happening all around the island, right? And I, if anything, because they feel that, uh, that the idea of progress uh, just means cutting down trees and building more buildings. Uh, it's it's a, like there's so for example there's a there's a mad statistic about how Malta I think has the most asthma per capita in Europe because there's just so many cars. It's just it's it's a terrible situation. Government is not being held to account. Uh, there is a Green Party that I was part of for a long time. There's never managed to to get any traction in in the polls that again because it's a it's a it's a very weird kind of island mentality the the church used to be very influential and the political parties have managed to 
have managed to work themselves into a situation where people are kind of born into a, a political party. And it's it's very difficult for new parties and new ideas to get traction. So because of this chaos, basically, the um the country environmentally, the country is 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 in ruins. Now, obviously there's we all know about rising sea levels. That's just that's a problem with all small islands. With Malta, there's much more to that though, because we also have, like I said, there's there's so many cars on the road, so many cars on the road that asthma is a big, big thing. There's this obsession about cutting trees down because, again, Malta's tiny. So people say, well, we, we need more space. But you don't need more space. You need management. You need you need a forward-thinking government that can manage what's happened. And and if anything, once, once you cut down trees, then people realize just how hotter it is. It's a Mediterranean country. So all of a sudden then then we need to create some it's it's maddening how there's been concrete structures that have been created because people need shade because there there aren't any trees it's just it's 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 funny but it's also maddening and it's what happens i think when you have a very irresponsible politicians who have made very very irresponsible decisions and um i mean there, there is talk now of uh, environmentalism and and things to green the a new green revolution and and the environment taking priority i mean yeah i hope i hope that is the case it does seem like it's it's way too little way too late in my opinion yeah so much greenwashing going on and uh but yeah people are calling it out when it's when it's there so yeah it's we're at a fascinating time in history really it's you know the crossroads and uh we are at a fascinating time in history, and I'm and I to be honest, I'm quite excited about uh, younger people coming through as well, and just and hopefully, hopefully pushing, you know, just pushing walls over, you know, just just making yeah. being being the change. And there's a lot of very passionate people who are part of the green movement, not just young people, of course, but but there is there's so much energy with the green movement around and even like and i know I, I spoke about malta and i said maybe it's too little too late even in malta there's a there's a couple of of groups that have like they they've stopped so much malta's mad if anybody if anybody fancies going down the the a, a rabbit hole just google construction and development in malta and you will be you'll be in tears and there's a few there's a few small groups ngos who are coming together to who have managed to to stop a few big developments happening and save and sometimes in Malta it comes down to saving something like 20 trees in an area because it's so small that's what but it, these are the numbers we're talking about but these are the numbers yeah. that will end up making a, a, a difference and and uh yeah and so there are people who are trying there are people who it's like you said very very exciting time uh all over the world and hopefully at the end of it um yeah we'll we'll be in a better place if there's a takeaway message for our listeners from you, what would that be? I would say that the the green movement at the moment is such a beautiful rainbow of different people with different ideas, right? So I would say my my takeaway this is kind of the, this was the messaging in my show as well is that I don't know if there is one perfect way to be a green activist i think everybody comes at it from different angles if you're one of the good people if you're one of the good guys then you're one of the good guys then uh 
then you come at it in your own unique way. We all need to be working together. We all need to be pulling together. We all need to be using our own talents, be that comedy, be that um, organizing, be that admin, be that podcast, be that talking to people, be that, you know, um, blocking a road, be that having a drink in a pub with, with a stranger and getting them on board, getting them to start talking about stuff. We all need to be doing what we can do, what we're strong at, what we're good at. And that's the only way we can we can turn things around. Hashtag find your role. As we have been saying many times in the sustainable hour. That's a, a wonderful uh, note to end the hour on, isn't it? Uh, I think once again, how many shows have we had this year where the word together has come up as, as maybe the most important word of them all? We need to get together. We need to do this together. And the big question is, how we get together. And I think Robert Patterson today showed us a good way because indirectly, isn't it true that all these people that participate in, in the letitian campaign, what happens to their emails? Are, are they collected? You know, because if let's say tens of thousands of people got together around the letitians, that in itself would become a bit of a movement. It will, could become a movement, but in actual fact, the movement is the climate groups and the community and the grassroots. The letitian system is just a system to be used. But if we all start using it, then where will it go? Now, talking about being positive, we've got a meeting coming up this evening in Geelong, another meeting at the Newcomb Library at 7 o'clock. For anybody that would like to come, we'd be delighted. We've got some good speakers, in fact, Mick, I think you're going to speak on the evening and we're going to have a demonstration of how letitians work. Um, and it can be a very, very positive thing. So that's what we're doing at Newcomb tonight. Uh, we're having organising a town hall meeting, Melbourne town hall meeting, and we hope about the 26th. And that meeting is going to be called Stepping Up Together. And so we're inviting writing to all the climate groups to send a, at least one representative so we can give a demonstration of letitians. We've got some very good speakers at that. Um, if everybody, you just need to go to letitian.org and then generate your own letitian to learn how to do it. And once you've done, generated a letitian, then we will keep you in the loop of the Melbourne meeting, the exact date, the time, and let's all move forward in a most positive way. As Colin said, we've got to stay positive. It's incredible how our shows connect. Like last week we had uh, Elizabeth Bolton on mm -hmm. talking about defence and uh, you know the, her plan E, which is a way for our defence uh, armed forces to the role that they need to play in the climate crisis. And here this week we're talking about defence again or the lack of us knowing what this report says about defence. So, yeah, togetherness is the way to do the, the answer, really, is that it's all about numbers for the politicians. As we often say, that a quiet concern just doesn't exist for a politician. They need, yeah, we need people to express their concerns in whatever way they can. And Robert has presented a, a good way of doing that today. Excellent. So here's another, yet another tool where you not only can find your role, but you can be the difference. Yep. Be the difference. Be the difference. Be the difference. Be the difference. 
People say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then imagine what we could all do together if we really wanted to. Watching. 